1: Welcome to a new series of Everything Else, the FT Culture Podcast. I'm Griselda Meyer Brown and I'm one of the arts editors here. This week I'll be asking my guests what that elusive and slippery thing, genius, is. Is Kanye West a genius because he keeps saying he is? Is it something that we should all actually be striving for? Or is it okay to be simply average? And later in the show, the actor Clark Peters, best known as Detective Lester Freeman in The Wire... We'll be discussing his role in the new film Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. If you listened to the last series, you might be wondering where my co-host Al Gilmore has got to. Well, Al is on parental leave, which is very different from an extended holiday and much harder work than being at work, I'm told. So I'm holding the fort, along with some very exciting guests. Today I'm joined by the actor Lucian Massamati, who is star of the National Theatre's production of Amadeus. And Amadeus picks apart the competitive rivalry between Mozart and another composer no one's ever heard of now, called Salieri, who's played by Lucian. And I'll also be welcoming Peter Aspden back to the podcast. He writes about the arts for the FT. I'll be grilling them both about the nature of genius. I wanted to start by really kind of trying to get a hold on this on this term genius and trying mm. to define it a bit. Mm. Peter, can I start with you? What What is a genius? Yeah,
2: good luck with that one. You know, <laughs> I'm reminded of this by a very good friend of mine who once went to an interview to do an MA in philosophy. And the first question he was asked was, what do we mean by transcendence? And you know, this is a nice warm up. So that's how it feels. I think transcendence is a good way into it. I mean, mm. genius to me means something that takes whatever you're being a genius at just to another level. It's more than technical proficiency. Mm. It's just something you recognize and you may even be bewildered by it. You may even dislike it. Mm. It seems mm. to come from another place. And of course, that's where it God comes in Mm. and so I think all these terms are kind of related. So
1: sort of beyond Mm. the bounds of talent as we Mm. define it. Yeah, absolutely. And Lucian, would you agree with that as a sort of working definition?
3: Yes, it is the ability or I suppose the space to elevate what is mundane, parochial day-to-day to an art form. There's something about elevation, there's something about creating a new language, creating a new space, opening up spaces within our imagination, within our
1: perception so sort of originality about pushing something forward that would be a starting point
3: there are many originators there are many amazingly brilliant technically proficient practitioners of whatever art forms or professions there are out there but there are not many that are genius i'm continuing to sort of dig within myself to sort of find like what, what does that actually mean and i can only at this point in the discussion in my brain in my soul It is the space of its elevation, elevating something from what is nuts, bolts, wood, paper into an art form.
1: I'm wondering also if there's something about a kind of effortlessness and ease, a sort of Mm. God-given talent. I mean, in Amadeus, which you're starring at the moment Mm. as Salieri, Mm. the annoying brat that is Mozart seems Mm. to have this kind of... Effortless talent, and, and the Salieri character is really railing against that.
3: Yes, again, to, to sort of bring things down to a certain level. But, uh, you know, I am, I am a passionate, passionate football fan. I love the game, I love playing you know, I that love
1: it. That makes two okay. of you yeah. no, I we're love, talking, love okay. I love, <laughs> I love
3: watching it. And it is the difference between watching someone hoofing, clumping, sliding, and watching the likes of Lionel Messi dancing, gliding across the turf effortlessly with as if the ball is attached to their feet as if you know no other space or time exists again it's art form because that's what it is
2: yeah i'm i'm mm. about to come out with one of the most pretentious pieces of <laughs> argument <laughs> in history i went to see a young argentinian footballer called diego maradona at wembley mm-hmm. um, nearly 40 years ago And football fans listening to this will remember that he went on this extraordinary run. He'd already been quite hyped. I mean, people had his eye on him. And he went on an extraordinary run from the halfway line where he beat about four or five people. And ironically, he didn't score. He just missed. And I remember very clearly looking at my friend and we were silent for a moment, you know, and... I think of Wittgenstein, you know, uh, whereof we cannot speak, thereof one must remain silent, Mm. you know, literally looking at each other. And then one of us said, what did he just do? It was that extraordinary feeling. And it's facile to say, you know, genius when you experience it. But I recently went to see the Sistine Chapel and I was lucky enough to be with a very small group of people because we were doing a tour of the Vatican Mm. and I hadn't been for years. Mm. And if you walk into the Sistine Chapel, you don't want to talk you must remain silent you're just struck by it and i think that's that's the amazing thing about amadeus and this current production which which uses the music much more than the original which i also saw it forces the audience i think just listen to this this is what salieri is talking about mm-hmm.
1: so what is it that makes mozart a genius and salieri a sort of mere mortal <laughs> what's what's the difference
3: for me, listening, working, experiencing—just the work of Mozart was that he gave music instruments. He gave them a soul. He turned music into a conversation, into blood and guts, and not as this holy aspirational cross that we must all sit back and appreciate. Because so it is,
1: he sort of brought us closer to it he just in a way. Brought
3: us closer to it. It's. Uh, I think especially of the wind serenade, which is when Salieri first experiences, has an epiphany. He realizes, hang on, there's there's something else going on here. Where did this come from? What is it doing to me? It's making me feel as I've never felt before. These instruments are, they are talking to me. What is that? What has he done?
1: It's a sort of very intense feeling that Salieri Mm. has because on the one hand, there's nothing more pleasurable than listening to beautiful music, but he's tortured by this. It's sort of unbearable to him that this music should be coming from somebody else.
3: I think within all of us as artists, perhaps even, dare I say, as people, (laughs) there's a part of you that's always striving to be immortal. But the realisation that for others beyond does not exist. (laughs) Um, Beyond is your limit. They are in another space entirely. As you said, effortlessly. They are there effortlessly. That is the big cosmic slap in the face. That is when you realise, ah, okay, I am not touched by the gods.
1: But there is another type of genius in a way, which is the kind of tortured genius, unrecognised in his or her own time. Almost like the kind of the Mozart figure dying young Mm. in penury, I mean, he wasn't Mm. unrecognized but there was nothing to say at that point that he would be as celebrated as he is now in comparison to Salieri. Mm. Do you think Mm. that there's something about being so ahead of your time that people at that time don't quite see your genius?
2: Yeah, I'm very fascinated by the words that accompany genius. Mm. Um, We have flawed genius, tortured genius, Mm. troubled genius. Mm. Almost as if we want to put something human in it, you know, mm. that however close to God or transcendence genius gets, mm-hmm. it's still very human. As for being of your time or ahead of your time, I mean, that's that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the world we live in now, it's almost impossible to be ahead of your time mm. because it's it's a mass media world. It's a It's a world that pounces on anything and valorizes it arguably to crazy extents. I'm on the fence with this one, I
3: think. We arrive in our time and in our space and we interact with our work, our craft in that particular moment. I'm not sure that the mythology of being tortured, of being... I think sometimes it's a a convenient excuse for those who don't understand (laughs) (laughs) or who don't get it or who are too afraid to confront what it is that is before them because I honestly don't believe the true groundbreakers of our time don't know that they're doing it. They're responding to an to an impulse in the moment i 'm not convinced of the mythology of torture and th- pain th-
1: yeah, I think there's you know. a lot of mythology that surrounds the idea of genius in general, and I'm actually kind of suspicious of the idea of genius. Both of you have said you know you see when you see genius, you see genius, mm. you kind of recognize it for what it is and yeah. and yes, that 's undeniably true, but then in another way, I think it's very easy to sort of romanticize it and glamorize it, oh, mm. and maybe for us mortals us mediocre mortals mm. it's kind of It's comforting in a way to put some people in a box and say, oh, they're geniuses. Mm. And also in another interesting way, I think genius is kind of quite culturally specific. It's quite subjective when you look at the list of who geniuses have been over the years. Mm. They've been, been mostly been no. <laughs> well. They've been mostly kind of quite a long list of white men, which makes me think. Well, yeah, that's yeah, just yeah, yeah. not yes, yeah. those aren't all the geniuses there have been. No. Clearly, well, th- it's know, flawed as a
2: concept. Uh, Funny enough, I did look at Wikipedia just on the way <laughs> to uh, here, and there's this kind of absurd league table of people's IQ, and the, mm. the top of the charts was this mm. kind of jostled between Isaac Newton, Leibniz, mm. and Goethe. Yes, Goethe. Mm. And you think, oh, really? You know, yeah. it's, it's just kind of. Well, it's trying bizarre, to sort of put a
1: scientific measurement on yeah, something that is, is slippery is and nonsense. elusive.
2: I think we're right to be sceptical, but at the same time, which word do we use to describe that feeling of something that's just on another level? I mean, that's the that's the mm. best way I can think mm. of it. Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, very good example. And this is to comes back to your point about effortlessness, mm. that when you're so effortless that you, your personality and the technique of the thing that you're doing at become as one.
1: But, I mean, Federer trains very hard. Yes, of course it's not he does. you know, It's an of course illusion course of it's doesn't. graceful, mm-hmm. but it's not effortless. Well, it,
2: isn't. it isn't. No, it's not effortless. It clearly isn't. Yet, when you have that grace and fluidity, it makes the effort go away, and there's a sort of moment in time where the universe appears to be mm. whole.
3: I think there is. there has been a commodification
2: of the idea
3: of the genius, and as a result, there are perhaps lots of individuals who have demonstrated moments of genius, that have then been parlayed into well, that's the most amazing thing since sliced bread. <laughs> when well, in actual fact, perhaps the cameras just happened to be on at the moment yeah. when they hit the perfect shot, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and suddenly everyone went, "Ooh, it's genius!" You no know, it, it mm. it's genius. But there is, I'm thinking about you know the the idea of the you know the hours of practice. You know, Salieri talks about in his. Railing, rage against God. You know, I worked, I worked, I've worked, I've worked, I've, worked. Yeah. I've done yeah. everything, but that moment of inspiration, that moment of peering beyond the curtain, has not been gifted to me. Mm. What did? What is it that I have done wrong? But well, Salir's problem is that he wanted to be Christ, but he's John the Baptist, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a question of whether he can accept that he's John mm. the Baptist and not not the Christ.
1: And mm. what about today? Who are who are the contemporary? He's a contemporary genius, do we think?
2: You know, speaking for myself, wow. I, I you know, <laughs> I, I would <laughs> guess that right now I just don't see it around. I mean I grew up with Bob Dylan, who to me is a genius. But again we talk about the time you're in and maybe luck plays a part because there may well be somebody Bob Dylan-ish around the mm. world today, mm. but he or she would not be coinciding with the 60s and civil rights and the growth of the pop industry mm. and the Beatles across the water mm. giving you a kick up the butt to, mm. to, to do different things. Teachers teach that
3: knowledge weights can lead to $100 plates Goodness hides behind its gates But even the President of the United States Sometimes must have to stand naked
2: yeah, we've even got a song with sound bites. Um, you know, he mm. not busy born is busy dying. Even the president of the United States must sometimes have to stand naked. It's an extraordinary song, I think. He was very much not ahead of his time, I think, Dylan. He was off his time through a combination of literature and music and the mass media, becomes this towering figure for mm. a decade. I would say.
3: I would say, for me, an absolute genius is Stevie Wonder. I am in complete and utter. Or
0: do we have to take
4: our to fly away
2: to the visions in our mind?
3: You know, in this day and age we're sitting you know well past what was his golden era, but what he was able to achieve, his influence on <laughs> popular music. Effortless talent. It is as if music and poetry just came out of his fingertips. On a technical level, it's interesting that singing-wise, especially when he's hitting those high notes, technically, is completely wrong. <laughs> your tongue is not supposed to be out. Yeah. You've got to open the back of your throat. Tongue sits back. You sit down on the diaphragm. You, you know, the sound pings out on the top of your head. He doesn't do that. His tongue sticks out. And out of it comes this beautiful, crisp,
0: yeah. Yeah.
3: clear high note and you think what are you doing (laughs) how is that possible you are touched by the gods of course i could talk ad nauseum about various footballers (laughs) but let's not get into that we're not having that let's not get into that
1: i mean the person that strikes me not who i think necessarily is today's genius but who certainly calls himself a genius and people Do you think this about him as Kanye West? He's the self-proclaimed genius Ah, of our our times. And it's an interesting thing. I mean, if you call yourself a genius, does that Mm. immediately disqualify you? My immediate thought was, yes, maybe it does. None of these geniuses Mm. we think of would say they are. And then I read interviews and watched interviews with Mm. Kanye. And he says, you know, if I don't call myself a genius, I'm just going to get called a rapper a celebrity i'm oppressed in a in a sense so i'm gonna mm-hmm. call myself a genius this mm-hmm. is the kind of mm-hmm. self-made genius mm. there's something genius about that i think yeah
2: well but, yes there are plenty of marketing geniuses around mm. it is interesting
3: because yes kanye west also and i ask myself is it because he says he is or is it because no he is actually quite amazing at what he does there's all the nonsense around it i remember during rehearsals having this discussion one thing we hit upon was you know what is the difference between kanye west and muhammad ali who i would say that muhammad ali also there is something of him that was in the genius mode what is it is it the fact that ali yes he was he was a braggart he was very confident but this idea of transcendence that he transcended his time became a a public figure, and then told us, <laughs> <laughs> I am mm. the greatest mm. and I will prove it to you.
2: And he did. And and, and, he, and did. he delivered. I mean, and that's you know.
3: absolutely delivered in possibly the most brutal, exposing sport.
1: For me, I think there's something about a kind of restlessness of genius. Mm. And if you're a genius, it pours into different areas and mm. you're sort of constantly evolving. And I think, going back to Kanye, that's why people who love him say that he is a genius, because every album is different, every yes fashion collection is different. Yes, he, yes, yes. the frame of reference is huge and there's this mm. sense of a kind of restless mind that's
2: just mm. yeah. um, Which you get, consuming I, like I always think that of, of Picasso, you know, yes. when we're talking about yes. the kind of the geniuses, this commonly accepted stable of geniuses. And that's that's why, what you get with Picasso. Yeah. And I got a little bit from Basquiat, actually, at the mm. Barbican show. Again, I'd like to talk about moments of genius there. Mm. I'm not sure I would say Basquiat was a genius. But going around that, this mm. amazing energy and restlessness and uh, seeing things and processing them really quickly and, yeah. and, mm. and moving on. But there's, on there's
1: and, an ego there with Basquiat as well. Oh, I mean, there's yeah. a sense that he's inserting himself into a kind of canon. He's putting himself yeah. next yes. to the kind of greats in his yes. in his pictures.
3: Yes, absolutely. A healthy ego is possible of it a sort of a a willful arrogance self-confidence self-belief but that is also I think incredibly fragile and incredibly lonely and at that point where you go "I, I can't help this I have to do this and I will risk ridicule I will risk poverty I will risk disrespect all these things but I I cannot help it because I'm what I'm seeing what I'm feeling is beyond the the beautiful padded walls of our (laughs) our studio.
1: And so for the rest of us, I wonder if mediocrity is under-celebrated. You know, we are Mm. all mostly, by definition, mediocre Mm, 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 and mm. not genius. At the end of Amadeus, you Mm. say... You know, mediocrities, you stand to the audience and say, mediocrities, I absolve you. And there's something just like very reassuring about that. I sat there and, you know, I thought, it's fine. (laughs) I do not have to write a wonderful play or or even a wonderful novel. It's fine.
2: What do you want to watch out for, uh, the mediocrities who? don't realise they're in the realm of the mediocre. Yes. And, uh, the people and who call themselves all, very yes, stable yeah. geniuses. Yes. Oh, well, yes. People call themselves yes indeed, yes. Really? Stable geniuses. <laughs> Self-awareness and mm. uh, confidence, yet also some humility is mm. kind of the way to go.
0: What happened to your hand, Officer Dixon? Uh, just kind of.
2: Banged it up
4: a
0: little bit while I was throwing some guy out a window, you know, (laughs) usual. Oh yeah? You never taught me that one at the academy. How are things coming along on that Angela Hayes case?
4: How's things coming along in the Mind Your Own Business case?
0: How are things coming along on the Hand Me Your Gun and Your Badge? Uh Huh? And Me Your Gun and Your Badge.
1: That was Clark Peters as the new sheriff of a small-town police station brought in to clean it up. He's talking to, or rather firing, a police officer played by Sam Rockwell. And the morning that Al spoke to Clark Peters when he came into our studio... Three billboards had in fact just won four Golden Globes, including Best Picture in the drama category. But even if you haven't yet seen the film, you'll probably know Clark Peters from The Wire. He, of course, played Detective Lester Freeman. He's been in lots of TV, lots of prestige TV, including Treme and more recently The Juice. And he's a man of many talents. His musical Five Guys Named Moe, featuring the greatest hits of Louis Jordan, is currently playing at the West End in London.
4: Clark Peters, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No, oh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Twenty seventeen was not not a great year for
0: Hollywood. Do you agree with that? I don't. Th- I don't think it was a great year for society. If you're referencing the Weinstein Harvey, yeah. yes. Well, I don't think it's just Hollywood, and I wouldn't say that it wasn't a great year. Sometimes, wonderfully positive things come out of. Moments like that, and perhaps his being exposed is a wake-up call for all of us to mind our P's and Q's, to reassess how we deal with each other. Do you feel that 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 is happening, or is that just something that you hope? That is something that I hope, like with the 45th president. I hope that this madness is going to bring us to our senses and to our humanity and to really take a look at uh, institutionalized racism or sexism or classism, and to be brave enough, and that's what I think Hollywood has shown us, is to be brave enough to step up and say something about it. So we could say that the 45th president, who I believe you you
4: tend not to use his name, is that right? Yeah, why would I? So that in fact he could be a catalyst for positive change? Absolutely. And not just because he's a
0: stable genius? I think that is his opinion of himself it's kind of like homeopathic medicine. Something that could be toxic and poisonous to you, taken in small uh, doses, is actually a panacea of some sort. With the egocentricity of the forty-fifth, forces us to take a look at a should force us to take a look at ourselves. If there was a divine orchestrator of life's drama I would say that that one has placed him here specifically for us to get ourselves right actors are frequently attacked in public life
4: for making political statements Mm -hmm. Meryl Streep only has to stand up and say something and a section of America will attack her for this Mm -hmm.
0: do you think actors should have a role in politics A role in politics, no. But to to be allowed to comment on it, why not? What's happening right now is a case in point. You've asked me a political question. I'm an actor. I respond. Someone hears this conversation without hearing your question, and I, the actor, get shot in the neck. (laughs) Should actors get involved in politics? It depends on how far involved you mean. They seem to be very outspoken
4: against Trump and others in recent years, and Mm. seems to have had arguably
0: no positive, concrete effect. Yes, so why does it matter? The only thing an actor speaking politics does is to keep it in the collective consciousness. Actors can encourage a populist to participate, and I think that that's a good thing. It was actors that really got on board to get people out to vote for whomever. Sometimes, your your next-door neighbor... You know, if you're not living in Hollywood or in some enclave that is inaccessible by the populace, if you're an actor like me living in, in North London, mate, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I get my, um, my next door neighbors you know, will voice opinions and I have a conversation with them about politics and then I come into a place like this and I'm being asked. So I may regurgitate something that they have said. I wind up being a viaduct for that conversation. I just use that as an example of the degree with which actors can participate. Why not? I mean, we had a actor who was a president, please. <laughs> a third-rate actor. That is your opinion. That is not mine. I found that he was a magnificent cowboy. <laughs> a cowboy, nonetheless. At its best, what is the point of an actor? To tell stories. A new word I've discovered... Um, Edutain. 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 To educate and edutain. Actors are just storytellers. Why not just entertain? Why not just entertain? Because writers like to educate as well. And we as actors are bearers of those stories. Whether it was something that happened around a a fire in the middle of the night, you know, hundreds of years ago, whether it's coming out of your phone today? In the past year, Mm -hmm. I've seen you in The Deuce, which is
4: a a brilliant TV drama uh, written by David Simon, who also wrote The Wire. Mm -hmm. I've seen you in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Martin McDonagh's new film, which I saw on Friday. It's it's brilliant. It's
0: a masterclass in acting. This is Francis McDormand. Francis and Sam. And that guy, Clark Peters, as he shows up halfway through, I think he is magnificent. But we'll He, stole, he stole it for me. Did he? Yeah. Gosh, I'll let him uh, know. Okay, so we
4: have a, a drama about prostitution in the 70s mm-hmm. on TV. We have this amazing film, Three Billboards, and your own musical, Five Guys Named Moe, with the mm-hmm. music of Louis Jordan. Yes. You're spreading yourself thinly, no? Am I spreading
0: myself thin?
4: I mean, you're doing everything, you know? This is a, uh, this is a renaissance man, no?
0: Why not? So the your question which, is... Uh, which yeah, one of I, these is? Will the real Clark point Peters point view, yeah. really stand up? Yeah, <laughs> will the real Clark Peters stand up? <laughs> which one is me? I think th- all of them, and I think I'm fortunate to be able to express those aspects of my creativity. As an actor, you would expect one to play as many different roles as as they can against an industry's discretion that says, okay, you're a police officer, you will always be a police officer, Mm -hmm. against an industry that says, you're just a film actor, you don't do television. In that respect, I try to remain true to the definition of an actor. Which is what? Which is to act and to tell stories, which is to act and tell stories, not to be a stereotypical character in someone else's agenda. Do you not have to achieve a certain amount of fame in order to have the freedom to choose? I don't know whether it's fame or a certain amount of grafting to keep yourself fluid I came into this business because I felt that this is the only job I would like to do for the rest of my life. And I will learn so much throughout life, whether it's learning about the police system in America, whether it's learning about science, whether it's learning about gardening or, or whatever. An actor should always be in the throes of learning something new. I read you could have become a baseball player. Yes, I could have become, you know, my brother reminded, my older brother, God bless him, reminded me of that. Because yeah, I kept saying, you know, I wanted, you know, I could have been this and that and the other. You know, at, at one point in time, there was, you know, looking at going into the priesthood, if that, you know, if it wasn't acting. And I think all that has to do is... You is, have a good voice for a priest. Do I? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, it depends on what kind of piece you're talking about. <laughs> hey, now, my congregation will sit quietly and kneel and pray. No, um, as far as like sports goes, I've always loved sports. What my brother was referring to was when I was seven, eight years old, we'd, move from, we'd already moved from New York to New Jersey, and uh, Elston Howard was a black baseball player who wound up living in the town that we moved in. And as a child, you're going, wow you know, I lived next to the field where the New York Giants used to play before they moved out to California and was able to see into the Polo grounds, which is what it was called. But I loved baseball. That was a child's dream. But also your child's dream
4: was to be an actor after appearing age twelve in my fair lady.
0: Whew, you've done your research, haven't you? Who was the director, do you remember? I do, yes. It was John Travolta's mother. <laughs> yes it was. Yeah. And who was Eliza Doolittle? John, John Travolta's Travolta. sister. <laughs> yeah. What did John play? John yeah. was too young. I um John wasn't in that at all. You know, I don't even think that. Uh, you had... were already streets ahead of him. Miles, <laughs> miles, yes, leagues ahead of the young guy. God bless him. And he was smitten at the age of twelve. But... Well, I think it was before then. You were asking earlier about what is an actor, you know, and I responded with storytelling. That's something that my older brother and I used to do for each other before television really came into our house because we weren't that we weren't a wealthy family and. TVs were hard to come by so we entertained it ourselves you know when we moved from New York to New Jersey um, we had a backyard and a garage you know and all those 1943 films thought oh I got a garage you got some costumes let's put on a show all of that became a reality. I guess the ego of the young of that young person says I want to do that and as you mature into your craft, you realize, You can either chase stardom Mm -hmm. or you can remain an actor and let whatever it is find you. If you chase stardom, move to Hollywood, park those cars, be that bartender until you're discovered. If you're an actor, find a stage to get on and learn your craft. And that's what I've enjoyed.
4: Someone wrote a profile of you after The Wire and wrote, the man who resisted stardom for so long has become an accidental star. Did you really resist
0: stardom? Uh, next question. <laughs> I, uh, I'd, 1984, I think, 84, 85, I was working with the Royal National Theater, playing a traditionally white role in Guys and Dolls. I was the first black guy with a white Sarah. I figured that was stardom. Well, it is. It? That was stardom. So I, I don't think I resisted it as much as ran toward it. I think in this sense, they're speaking of stardom as, as like a household name, which certainly The Wire has done for Freeman and for me in certain households. Are you, are you yeah. glad about that? Yes, I am. And I'm glad that it was The Wire that did that because of its intelligence. In hindsight, I felt, yes, okay, I was an actor on a mission because I was learning about my the culture that I came out of before I came here to England. I'd never been to Baltimore before. So going back to America after all those years and to be going to Baltimore... You, know, you have a place in Baltimore now. I right? just sold it um, about three months ago. Wonderful, wonderful place. Yeah, It was a learning process, that whole experience... And I'm glad that it was that because of how The Wire has affected so many other people. But none, presumably, more than you. I mean, you, you go from
4: being you know, a very well-established, well-respected actor to being, as you say, a household name.
0: People stop you in the street. Sometimes they do. <laughs> and that's fun um, in that what The Wire has allowed me to do is to continue the conversation about how our society is structured. About our penal systems and the drug war and how the press deals with things. False press, you know, all of that, you know. And I appreciate that because it has allowed me to have conversations with complete strangers. It must have opened doors for lots of parts as well. You would have thought so, but it hasn't. You know, what it's opened up doors for is more parts like a policeman. Right, so they yeah. see Lester Freeman and they yeah. say, well, we want that. Again. Yes, yeah.
4: and and that and, I, and that is something that I continue to resist. You recently played Gloucester, is that right? Yes, yeah. now we're talking, mm-hmm. you know. Is that yeah. a more satisfying experience than
0: doing that experience snatches of TV? Two different animals. The stage, you have a, a continuity from beginning, mini, middle to end, you know, two hours, three hours, five hours, you mm-hmm. know. Film, TV, as you said, you're doing a snatch of a scene here and a snatch of a scene there. And it's hard to keep the continuity. There's no rehearsal. But on stage, you know, it's immediate gratification. You can feel an audience. You make a joke and and they laugh. Or you pause and they listen
4: for what's to come. Is there such a thing as a bad audience? Actors often talk about this. They often say, oh, you know, oh, the audience was terrible. The you audience know, I, I, is terrible. I was, I was great, but the audience just bombed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's, there No, I don't think there's a bad audience unless... Well, i tell you, for me, a bad audience would be an audience of Ku Klux Klan members, <laughs> you know, and yeah, I, I, I would, would be talking would about the civil rights movement. <laughs> that would be a bad audience. I think that actors have bad days and that's Sometimes we use the audience as our barometer, mm-hmm. you know, and shift that. But the are there cha- bad critics. Yes, there are bad critics because sometimes a critic has his or her own agenda. Do it you has- care about criticism? Do you read it? Uh, sometimes I do.
4: Lots uh, of actors say they never do. They oh no even no no. no they don't no. pick up the newspaper. They won't.
0: Um, well, there, there are times when I when I haven't, and there are other times when I'm, I have learned from some critics by listening to what they have said. And altered a performance because they were right. Really? Yeah. Your director must have found that slightly uh, worrying. Direct, by that time, the director's gone. Okay. Yeah. And it would only be nuanced. I, wouldn't, the,
4: I mean, I have friends who are actors, and they will say that that's exactly the reason why they don't read
0: reviews in case. They are influenced. It's you who is being influenced. You can either choose to be influenced or take that critique and not do it. So what the actor is really saying is, I don't want anyone to judge what I'm doing. No, no, no. Every person out in that seat is judging you. I think finally.
4: Um, (laughs) After 2017, which many people didn't think was the best year we've had in recent memory, are you optimistic about 2018? So far I am.
0: When I think that I woke up this morning to three Golden Globe Awards. I woke up this morning to landing a series with Oprah Winfrey's company. I woke up this morning in a new house. I woke up this morning with my wife next to me, smiling. Sorry, I think all this happened in one morning? All this happened this morning. What, from so from three
4: gave you a call? No. <laughs> you <laughs> won three awards?
0: <laughs> all in this morning. Yeah. So you've been, I, and you've been at Sky? <laughs> yes, and now I'm here with the FT. <laughs> Just like this early morning, let the year be continue on like this. It's been brilliant, mate. It's been brilliant. Yes, I feel very positive about it. Clark Peters, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, uh, thank you very
4: much.
1: That's it for this week. Three Billboards is out on general release... Clark Peter's musical Five Guys Named Moe is at the Marble Arch Theatre in London until the 24th of March and Amadeus, starring Lucian Masamati, is at the National Theatre in London until the 24th of April. Next week we have a special dispatch from the Hay Festival in Cartagena, Colombia so stay tuned for that and you can subscribe on any podcast app listen online at ft.com slash everything else please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts as it helps other people discover us. You can find everything we've talked about and let us know what you think at facebook.com slash everything else podcast or you can email us at everythingelse@ft.com. at This podcast is produced by Chica Ayres. I've been Griselda Murray-Brown and our music is by Fatum.